the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushduni Narrated by Shelby Luke Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Rusus John Rushduni. In lieu of the judgment of God across this nation, I appeal to you to listen, learn, and live as the Holy Spirit guides you in the truth of the Word of God. The words and prompting of fallible men do not hold a candle to the truth of Scripture, and the truth of Scripture will only be words to our ears unless we exhort, establish, and exercise these infallible words in every area of thought and life. Chalcedon Report number 102, February 1974. In the early 1850s, Unitarian Boston was horrified and alarmed because of the great influx of Irish Catholic immigrants, and the result was the triumph of the anti-Catholic, anti-foreigner political group, the Know-Nothing Party. In 1854, J.V.C. Smith was the Know-Nothing Mayor of Boston. Yet Smith continued to maintain close business relations with Irish Catholic friends, including the bishop, John Bernard Fitzpatrick, a close personal friend. As an able amateur sculptor, Smith executed a fine bust of the bishop. Such a relationship between an anti-Catholic mayor and a bishop bothered neither the mayor nor the bishop. The mayor's position was political pragmatism, a belief that success is more important than truth. The Know-Nothing Party was simply a popular tool to be used to disrupt the Whig and the Democratic parties. The same motive led some leaders of the anti-Masonic Party to join the Masons secretly, and it led some liberals in the 1920s to join the Ku Klux Klan. It has been said that politics is the art of compromise, of working out a practical means of cooperation between conflicting groups. A principled pragmatism has its place and is by no means immoral. It is simply a recognition that goals can be attained usually only by degrees. The problem in politics is unprincipled pragmatism. The insistence not only that success is more important than truth, but that success is truth. For modern pragmatism, truth is what works. That which succeeds. Moreover, as the status schools of the country have steadily trained each generation in term with a humanistic, relativistic pragmatism, the United States has seen the growth of a purely opportunistic politics to a position of dominance. In virtually every modern state around the world, the same development has taken place in varying degrees. In many European states, for example, Lacking the Puritan background of Americans, the development is much further along. After all, the disciples of Machiavelli very early converted European diplomacy and politics into an unprincipled pragmatism. In America, it was the philosopher Charles S. Pierce who, between the Grant and Wilson years, formulated the new American faith and defined it as pragmatism. Pierce defined pragmatism thus, quote, 
In order to ascertain the meaning of an intellectual conception, one should consider what practical consequences might conceivably result by necessity from the truth of that conception. And the sum of these consequences will constitute the entire meaning of the conception. Unquote. The meaning is the result. Those who followed Pierce pushed the idea much further. For William James, and especially for John Dewey, truth became instrumental. In Reconstruction in Philosophy, 1920, Dewey wrote, quote, The hypothesis that works is the true one, and the truth is an abstract noun applied to a collection of cases, actual, foreseen, and desired, that receive confirmation in their work and consequences. Unquote. Dewey defined social progress as growth towards the desired community or great society, but he had no standard in terms of which growth could be defined. There was also no objective criterion whereby the great society could be defined to distinguish it from the great tyranny. Truth being what works, anything that succeeds is therefore the truth. Logically, the historically elect people for these pragmatists are those who succeed. Attempts to define this great society in terms of traditional liberalism have failed. No principle of definition other than the pragmatic one is logically tenable. Thus, humanism, by developing pragmatism, has created an anti-humanistic doctrine. If man does not, quote, work, unquote, if he becomes a polluter and a social roadblock, then away with man. The modern humanistic and pragmatic state has thus become, in the name of man, history's greatest killer of man by means of wars, slave labor camps, mass murders, and purges. Pragmatism has led also to a new isolationism. In the older America, isolationism meant a respect for the self-determination of other states. People were free to contribute to the cause of freedom anywhere, but the function of the state had to be non-interventionism. Now the interventionism is pragmatic and Machiavellian based on the balance of power politics and the isolationism is personal and immoral. It means, quote, doing your own thing, unquote, and rejecting all moral norms which would bind all men and nations. Unprincipled pragmatism, philosophical pragmatism, erodes the power of judgment. If the truth is what works, everything that works is true, and thus why get excited about anything? Why condemn anything or defend anything? Where the power of judgment is eroded, the ability to act is also eroded, and a moral paralysis results. No era of history has ever been free of problems and no era of history has ever been governed by majorities, but only by dedicated minorities who have provided the direction to others. The modern state everywhere has a crisis of authority. Its ability to command the people apart from brute force is severely limited. It can at times unite the people in hatred, hatred of an enemy. But this does not eliminate the underlying disunity. Thus, in a time of great material progress, when men should feel most hopeful, hopelessness is very common. 
For man does not live by bread alone. In a world without truth or meaning, how can a man define hope? This bankruptcy is most apparent where power is the greatest, from foreign affairs and the CFR to the local supervisors the pragmatic philosophy of retreat is to vote more money to satisfy the troublemakers in the name of social peace and harmony. But, quote, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, unquote. Matthew 4, 4. Apart from that king and his every word, we end up with no word at all. The future can have no other foundation than Christ, because there is none. Chalcedon Report number 103, March 1974. A pilgrim is one who journeys to a destination from a religious motive. Thus, we are all pilgrims in that our lives are a quest for those goals which are to us most desirable, goals which our faith makes us live for. There was a time when pilgrimages were exclusively religious, as with medieval man, and with the Puritans who became pilgrims by their journey to America to establish a godly church and society. With the Enlightenment, however, pilgrimage took on a new dimension, the grand tour of Europe in quest of experience. To become a gentleman, it was necessary for an English youth to go to Paris and Rome and to enjoy the pleasures thereof. The goal of pilgrimages had become not Christian experience, but humanistic experiences, aesthetics, intellectual or sensual, depending on one's desires. The Romantic movement added a new dimension, the pilgrimage into the bizarre, the perverse, and the insane, as Mario Prats documents so well in the Romantic Agony. The lust for experience meant a quest for the abnormal and for the perverted. In the 20th century, this quest has been greatly developed, both in vicarious and in actual experience, the lust for the abnormal and perverted, and the delight in being shocked, has led modern culture into strange byways. Culture has become pathology. In recent years, entertainment has been heavily dominated by the pathological and the film industry increasingly caters to an almost entirely voyeuristic, sadomasochistic audience. The vast appeal of a stupid and tasteless film like The Exorcist is simply its appeal to this mentality. Lines of people have waited by the hour to see it, and newspaper reports that some viewers had fainted and vomited only increased its appeal. Thus a fine symbolic note was struck when a major airline advertised a 1974 travel pilgrimage. Quote, Spotlight on Dracula, unquote. A guided, quote, total unique travel experience which involves you in an adventure combining present-day reality with medieval history and ancient folk beliefs. You participate in a recreation of the Dracula legend completely immersed in the original environment in which it flourished, unquote. with reenactments, quote, for your exclusive benefits, unquote. Of the historical Dracula, the papal nuncio reported in 1475 that he had by that date personally authorized the killing of 100,000 people, usually by torture and impalement. Contrary to the travel guide brochure, 
Dracula was not a medieval, but a Renaissance figure. The Renaissance, which proclaimed the love of man and his rebirth, set a precedent for the 20th century by its lust for torture and murder. It was the era of men like Ludovicio Sforza, the Borgia Pope Alexander VI, Sigismondo Malatesta, Caesar Borgia, John Tiptoff, and others. It is fitting, therefore, that the 20th century pilgrim pay his money for a pilgrimage to Dracula's palace and realm. He is closer to Dracula than to God. Dracula's world is the world of his heart. The newspaper headline reads, quote, 600 serious crimes reported in city schools for seven-month period, unquote. And it tells of murders, rapes, robberies, assaults, and other crimes committed in, quote, public, unquote, schools despite the presence of security guards. In spite of this, a prominent man objected heatedly when I suggested Christian schools as the alternative. Dracula is better than God in the eyes of millions. By their pilgrimages, you shall know them. Pilgrimages to Dracula's castle, to the exorcist, to schools that educate for ignorance and godlessness, to entertainment geared to shock, violence, and horror, to blasphemy and immorality. This is the love of modern man. A new bumper sticker perhaps is needed, which will simply read, quote, Dracula lives again, unquote. In the age of communism, Nazism, and mass violence in the name of, quote, rights, unquote, perhaps Dracula is too mild a figure. The 20th century has surpassed him. Ironically, Dracula was killed in 1476 by his own men as a result of his own folly. In this, he is a fitting symbol of our time. Our Lord declared, quote, All they that take the sword shall perish with the sword, unquote. Matthew 26, 52. Again, we are told, quote, He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword, unquote. Revelation 13, 10. The meaning here is not the use of force in the execution of justice, but the denial of justice in the name of power. All who set aside God's law shall fall under its judgment. Those whose pilgrimage of life is a quest for experience and power outside of God will pay the penalty thereof. The goals of the pilgrimage of modern man, both in his own person and by means of the statist, orders he creates are quest for Dracula, for experience in the perverted and demonic, and for an order created through total tyranny. Dracula instituted so rigid a control over his people that he placed a golden cup near the fountain of a public square in his capital, and no man ever stole it. They did not dare. This did not mean that Wallachia was crime-free. The biggest thief and murderer was Dracula's tyrant state, and it tolerated no petty criminal to interfere with its life of crime. Today, lawless as our cities are, the worst crime is committed by the state, the theft of freedom. Moreover, a people who themselves have perverted pilgrimage conspire to help the state destroy them. But a more important fact remains. 
the Draculas of history are historical curiosities. They pass, but God remains, and His purpose prevails. The false pilgrims of our day can only build ruins, but we, quote, know that our labor is not in vain in the Lord, unquote. 1 Corinthians 15:58. The future is ours under God, and it is time for strengthening the foundations and for preparing to take over and govern. The Lord's order is very clear, quote, Occupy till I come, unquote. Luke 19, 13. And He does not issue impossible orders. Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushby. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the love he assures by his pain, the very prize. It was there at Calvary's tree, where he died for you and me.
The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.